Welcome to the Stuck Stops here. Hello, Tammy. Season three, episode 10. How does that grab you? Episode 10. That's a lot of episodes. Can we just talk about what a wonderful year 2020 has been? (laughs) (laughs) It's been a heck of a year. Maybe not. We're all waiting for it to end. You know what they say, wake me up when Corona ends. That's right. (laughs) Or wake me up before you go, go. (laughs) That one too. Or when September ends. I can keep going. Uh, all right. Well, what are we talking about today? So I, we're going to be talking about toxic family dynamics and toxic family roles that toxic parents assign their children. Mostly unconscious, but so that's what we're going to talk about. But I'd like to... Um, sort of share an interesting weekend I had uh, two weeks ago. Let's hear. I went and visited my stepsister. And uh, she has uh, three young kids. Um, You know, she had a pretty uh, impressive career in New York City, so she got a a late start with the, you know, marriage and kids thing, but doing quite well now. And, um, you know, she had had a pretty challenging upbringing as well. Um, she's had my childhood, but then just add on some uh, maternal physical abuse. So, and were you aware uh, of that when you were growing up? I suspected it. Um, I'd heard like rumblings. Um, and you know, as I've told you, you know, uh, my mom and uh, stepdad are not very honest people. So, uh, whatever information they gave me was skewed, filtered, distorted. So, but, um, she uh, was, I think, assigned, you know, as far as I, you know, the way I see it, she was assigned the scapegoat rule, which we'll get into later. But um, she's, let me preface, she's doing fantastic now. Um, and it's incredible what she has survived. I'm very impressed with where, you know, she's ended up because she had no role models at all. So uh, she married a great guy and she has three uh, really well-adjusted children. So so you're um, just discovering all of this now about her. About well, her. we she exactly. So she kept bringing up, and I was pretty evasive. You know, like, well, you know, how come you know your mother and uh, you know my dad don't keep the family together? Why don't they do more? And I was like, you know, they relocated to another state, and it was just kind of challenging to, you know, get together. So I sort of blamed it on that. Um, and then she really started pursuing it and started, you know, asking about uh, specific things, you know, you know, mentioning, you know, the ma- manipulative toxic behaviors and um, on both their parts. Uh, so she's talking about her, you know, her own biological father, which I always said I was never going to sort of, I was never going to let her know you know, honestly, what a terrible person he is. Do you think she, that, do you think that her father and your mother would have wanted you to have a relationship with her? Great question. And that gets into toxic family dynamics. So thank you for being brilliant. Um, no, 
they, you know, part of what toxic family dynamic stems from is control. And if somebody else is close, then they're threatened, um, partly because, you know, I think that if they were to realize that we started comparing notes and then both stopped having a relationship with them, that's sort of probably a, a valid and realistic fear on their part. So They probably um, were afraid to get exposed. If you did compare notes, that would be, uh, you know, suddenly they might get exposed for the way they're behaving. Absolutely. That's a big part of it. Another big part of it is they, they you know, they're very empty, bitter people. So the only thing that gives them purpose and direction is drama um, and chaos uh, and gossip. So they they get no satisfaction out of, you know, sitting by the fire and having a, you know, a cup of coffee and a glass of water or a glass of wine and just everybody being at peace. It's That's boring to them. And it is boring and unfulfilling for a lot of toxic people because they were raised to believe that chaos and, and drama and manipulation um, and distorting reality was normal. What was your um, feeling about your stepsister growing up, though? Did you think that she was the lucky one, the, you know, kind of like the, you know, the, there's like the Cinderella and then there's the ugly stepsisters. I mean, the, you know, they're the ones that get all the attention and everything. Did you think that she was that? No, no, it was, <laughs> I did not. I think she got the worst of everything, wow. um, which I, I feel bad about. Um, she was, you know, the scapegoat. So she was the problem one. Um, and uh, again, when we get into the toxic family dynamics and roles, the scapegoat, scapegoat is actually one that, that usually ends up turning out the best, which is interesting. So, um, well, it sounds like um, that's the kind of the troublemaker, right? And the troublemaker, in a way, kind of like acts out what they're really feeling. Yep. Yes. So, you know, it's the problem, the scapegoat, the troublemaker, you know, it's all falls into, you know, their, you know, they're the issue. It's not us. And she did bring up, well, you know, why do they think my, my, you know, my brother walks on water? You know, my stepbrother, I referred to my stepbrother. Um, um, and why do they think, he, you know, he's so wonderful? And that's when, I started to sort of, you know, she had pressed me, not in a bad way, but, uh, you know, she was looking for her honesty and authenticity. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, after some intelligent questions and, you know, uh, detailed questions, I started to be honest with her. And I said, well, they've always, that's always been the case. So when I started revealing because she pursued it and was comfortable with it, so I give her a lot of credit for that too. Um, I started telling her some of the truths and she had no idea that it was so awful. It sounds like you were the perfect person and maybe the only person that she could really turn to with these questions who might give her and, the real, the real deal. So that's a blessing and a tragedy. The blessing is that we can connect authentically. Now the tragedy is that we probably could have been a better support system 20 years ago had we known. Sure. You know, had sure. we been honest. Now, I, I will say, you know, she, you know, we spent a lot of time with them um, when we were younger. And then once we get into, you know, early teenage, you know, middle school and high school, it became less for obvious reasons. People want to be with their friends. And 
you know, it's just different. And also, you know, my pet, you know, my mom, stepdad really don't know what to do with adults. Uh, they were fantastic with um, my kids when they were three, four, five years old. Then as soon as they develop, you know, some independence and a personality and a brain, they don't know what to do. Yeah, it scares so, them. Which, which is uh, very telling. Um, but anyway, so we didn't spend a lot of time, um, at, you know, later on in life. And we just all were in separate directions. Some of it good, some of it bad. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, the, the reality, the reality is that both the, my biological brother and, and my stepbrother has ended up the worst out of the four of us and myself and my stepsister have turned out the best. Um, wow. Why do you think, more, why do you say, think that is? So here is a, a great question. One of the things that the scapegoat child often does is they, they end up feeling everything and seeing everything for what it is, and they fight that, that force of them to, you must believe what we believe, even if our behavior is the opposite. And she rebelled against that. Um, and yes, in, in unhealthy ways, but that's what we do. <laughs> you know, whether you become a perfectionist, an alcoholic, uh, a busyness addict, uh, eating disorders, uh, behavior disorders. I mean, I had, you know, I was, I had multiple behavior disorders uh, as a result of that. So she's, um, you know, she definitely uh, has been through the ringer, but has come out on the other side really, really well. What do you think uh, was the catalyst for her to reach out now? So she, um, I always reach out to her on her birthday. And on her birthday, she said, you know, we're going to be uh, renting a summer home a couple hours from you. Would you come visit? And I said, absolutely. You know, and she was very specific about it. And we picked a weekend, the whole thing. And um, so it, it worked out. I mean, she really, I give her the credit because I would not have made the effort that she did. And the main reason I would not have um, is partly, you know, she does live far away. Um, and also it's very hard to fake, fake it. And I, um, when you spend time with family, eventually, you know, your family relationships are going to come up. Something's going to come up. Right. And I just didn't want to be put in the position to tell her what the real deal was. I could because, see where you would avoid, um, having any real talk with her or just spending any real time because of that. Cause you absolutely. don't know, you don't know where her head's at and you don't want to bring up these kinds of things. So I could see where you would avoid that. So amazing that she reached out. And it, it, assertively and sincerely. So that's why, you know, so it made her feel a lot better. And she, she actually read my book and, you know, saw a lot of herself in the book and was, again, just kept being blown away. I can um, imagine, I can just picture her reading the book and being like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like really realizing, cause she was there. She was witnessing probably a lot of it. And just to see it from your perspective, it must've been so eye opening for her. Too. She always thought that all the effort was put into us and every weekend was a, you know, a fun party and that she was being left out because everyone hated her and she was the, the screw up. So she and didn't know what you were going through. 
Nope. So Not for you to have written this book, even if nobody else in the world had read it and just she read it, that would have been an amazing thing. She had no idea. Yes. No idea. So what the real the point behind all this is everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about, including people that you think you know. So true. And and if that depersonalizes your interactions with people, that actually can help. Because you, if you start looking at people, well, maybe there's something going on that I'm not aware of. You won't re- react so antagonistically when somebody, no matter who it is, coworker, sibling, neighbor, spouse, yeah. friend, neighbor, it doesn't matter. Um, when they start, when you start seeing that those the, the face turn red, the sarcasm, the nasty uh, comments come out, subtle manipulations, any any of that stuff that you know you've witnessed and you get angry at, if you look at where it's coming from, not, not forgive them or take crap, no. Um, but it's understanding. It's about understanding. Yeah. So, yeah. so let me ask you this very interesting question. If that's the case, should I be sitting down? <laughs> are you sitting down? I don't know. I'm sitting on my head. If that's the case, then are you able to look at your parents and your stepdad with that same, uh, I want to say compassion? Empathy is probably a better word. Yeah. The, it's a great question. I would realistically, I would say, you know, 80 to 90% of the time I can. But that, that kind of, you know, chronic, not, well, I'll, I'll emphasize, non-physical trauma doesn't go away. And um, I'm here, here's why I'm probably most angry with my stepdad is, and I hope I don't get too confusing, um, he met my mother's, uh, grandmother, and in my in my book, I talk about my mother's grandmother being a a almost a abort- not violent, but a very uh, aggressive, assertive, bitter control freak. Wow! And you know, my mother inherited a lot of her behaviors because she ran the house, I and mean, it was she was, you know, the matriarch of the family. She bossed my mother's mother around. She bossed my mother around. She bossed everybody around. She had her favorites, and she played them against each other. She did all that. It was terrible. So my mother grew up with that and absorbed it. My stepdad was on the awful end of it, saw how my grandmother operated, saw the worst of it, and then he allows my mother to do the exact same thing. And that's just, that's a choice. But how can he, uh, how can he not allow her to do it i mean it sounds like that's a um the type of behavior that you can't really stop someone from i mean he's definitely an enabler for sure yep but how do you stop someone from behaving that way if that's what they know and that's they think they're you know i think a lot of narcissists or most probably think that they're they're okay and they don't need to fix anything they're perfect that is correct that is correct he's an enabler um uh, as well as, you know, he has some uh, narcissistic tendencies and antisocial personality disorder. So he's got his own behavior disorders. And he can't, he can't change it. And I don't even expect it. I just, you know, when these, you know, memories come back, I think of 
I, I guess if he tried to stop it, he would have had to leave. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think that because might be the, the only way. That would have been the only way, which, you know, I guess he didn't want to do. But It's like um, narcissism is like an incurable disease, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is incurable. It is untreatable. And I, I would call it, a, you know, maybe a, a virus or some sort of cancer of the soul. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really is because there's, it does pollute and metastasize everybody in its path. So, um, and again, it's not just narcissism. There's just chronic toxic behavior patterns. And, and I don't want people, you know, the same goes for, you know, um, alcoholics, um, anybody who's got any kind of addiction, um, up to anything, both substance abuse and non-substance abuse, all of those behaviors apply. Wow. Um, and it's incurable. So, um, so we're getting together again in, uh, next month. So it'll be nice to, um, you know, what I would like to do is see if she's uh, willing to come on, uh, the podcast and, that would be you know, great. Tell, her, tell her side of the story. So we'll I would see. love to hear that. I think our listeners would really enjoy that too. Let's, let's hear her version of the story. Yeah, right. And, uh, it, you know what? I know it'll be true because, you know, she's managed to remove a lot of her, uh, I would say, unhealthy, toxic bias that, you know, bias that she was taught. That's great. Is so, she uh, uh, is she in contact with her father? Yes. Limited like mine. Mm-hmm. Um, she definitely talks to him more. Um but maybe she now, maybe with your help, she knows kind of more about what she's dealing with and maybe she doesn't take it so personally. Maybe she doesn't internalize it because it wasn't her. It was him all these years. Maybe all these years That's she right. thought it was her. She thought everybody hated her, right? That's right. But now she realizes that it's him. And so maybe it, it's easier for her to separate herself emotionally. And I'm sure. And it will get, you know, as she gets older and, you know, um, wiser and she will, it'll, it'll, it's always, it's a, con, you know, it's a continuing pro it's a continuous process. It sure is. So, wow. uh, but I, you know, I'm, it, it's, it feels a little strange to me to, to, to be so honest because it's, it's, you know, it's her biological father. It's, you know, it's hard. Well, that's why you needed to wait until she reached out yeah. to you. Yeah. You couldn't initiate cause you didn't know where she was at. But she was reaching out to you with questions that were so valid and so um, telling that you felt like, okay, we can talk about this. And by the way, yeah. I, by the way, I wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. And here it is, a book of our family. <laughs> yeah, she, she freaked out. I mean, she was, no, not, which is not in a bad way. But no, she you was helped like her shocked. so much, so helpful. It's like you just mapped it out for her, whatever she's going through and trying to figure out. You're like, here, I wrote it all down already. Just take a, take a read. So that's yeah. really great. It's going to be great to have her on the show. Let's take a two-minute short, uh, two-second short break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about toxic family dynamics. We'll be right back. This much I know is true. Only way out for us is through. It ain't love and it ain't free. A war we fight but cannot see. And we're back. We're talking about family dynamics 
mostly toxic family dynamics. And Tammy's going to tell us about the dynamics and the toxic family roles. Very interesting. So I like to always say this every show. I, I am not a therapist. I'm not a certified life coach. I, am, I have no clinical training. What I do is I, you know, devour information on almost a daily basis. And what I do is I share my interpretation of it through book, music, and podcasts. So this is my interpretation. So uh, I like to give you people ideas and potential paths to take to heal. And that's all this is. So um, all the information I'm giving you is what I've gathered through all my research. So uh, please, you know, note that as you, you know, digest uh, what I say. So toxic family dynamics. So we talk, we use labels a lot, whether it's narcissism, narcissistic parents or, or whatever labels, you know, personality disorders. Toxic family dynamics can happen even if there are no labels within your family. If nobody's ever gotten therapy, um, they may or may not be alcoholics. They may or, you know, there may be no labels. You may have no idea what their problems are. But here's a symptom of generational dysfunction. First one, splitting. What toxic parents will do, will plant seeds to, in order to, you know, start jealous thoughts, resentment, and anger because they like the drama. So it'll be very subtle. That's um, why we always, you know, a lot of times when you talk about emotional abuse, they talk about invisible scar. Everything is often invisible, toxic, but invisible. So again, splitting is planting seeds in your different ways at different times for different reasons among all, all the kids with the sole goal to grow jealousy, resentment, and anger. That's, a, that's aggressive. Yep. Um, and subtle. It's almost passive aggressive. Yeah. Pitting. 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 Setting family members uh, against each other uh, through dishonest uh, and volatile communication. Again, I'm, I, you know, I had no physical abuse, so everything I, I'm saying here is emotional and verbal abuse. Um, my mother loves to do this. Um, tell, you know, make a to twist something you say and then tell a sibling, you know, about it to get them mad. Uh, it's sad. But so it she happens. just creates friction and yes. she just stands back and watches the fun. All for her narcissistic supply. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a way of feeling in control. Uh, smear campaigns. So telling lies, uh, deceitful stories, always delusional and probably untrue. Um, so it's funny. I'll use an example. My stepsister said to me, um, I asked your mom why the family doesn't get together. And, I, you know, she had, you know, no answer. Two weeks later, and I'm figuring this out now, my mom said, you know, your stepsister asked why we never get together in an accusational tone. Like it's your fault. Yep. 
And the old me would have, you know, gotten mad or angry or resentful. And we would probably would have had this, you know, contentious dialogue as a result. And you would have believed that your um, stepsister was being mean or bitchy, right? Yep. And you yep. would have you would have thought badly of her. And your mother was like the innocent one, like, oh, she she thinks we don't like each other or whatever. So your mother was kind of making herself the hero. Yep. I couldn't have said it better. We might as well sign off now. Thank you all. <laughs> have a great night. Fun stuff. <laughs> so so that's a, a simple example. Now, if we can try to envision, you know, all that going on when all the children were six and five and eight and 13 with their own misery and their own marital problems and their divorces, and you multiply, that's where, to me, death by a thousand cuts comes right into play. Um, and my mother used to, you know, pit me, you know, me and my brother and I against each other, um, talking about, you know, he, you know, he said this and you said this and then come back to me and tell me an opposite story. So we would get angry. I don't do that anymore. That's good. Um, so, uh, my stepdad was another, okay. So we did splitting, pitting and smear campaigns. Now, uh, the next one is chronic disrespect and contempt. And my stepdad is the king of that. King of contempt. King of contempt and disrespect. Um, um, that, it's, he, he's like that with everybody. Everybody. And, it, and it's sad. Do people see um, it in him? Um, probably not the golden child. You know, his beloved son who is married on his second wife. Um, who's exactly a cross between his mother and my mother. Wow. I was like, oh, my God. Really? So, you know, they passed the toxic torch. Wow, they sure did. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, no matter your feelings didn't matter, your thoughts didn't matter. Um, and that's, you know, a, a symptom of, you know, antisocial personality disorder as well. They have, you know. Contempt for everybody and disrespect for everybody. Mm. Um, and he thinks the world owes him something. So uh, the other thing toxic parents do, they become angry and enraged when you assert boundaries. You know, what's theirs is theirs, what's yours is theirs. That could be material things. That could be your emotional state of mind. That could be your time. I don't, you know, my mother used to come over and, and go through my mail. Wow. Yeah. Did you say ago. something to her? Like, what are you doing? Why no, I never occurred to me that it would like eat me up inside, but never, I'm not allowed to say anything. She's fragile. She's deaf. She's, you know, needs me, you know, typical codependent response. Right. Right. Um, so, um, and then so what happened when you asserted your boundaries and you said, Hey, you know, I mean, eventually you did, right? Well, I, the way I assert my boundaries is by be using the gray rock method and being very boring. So there's no fight. Uh, she just has no interest and maybe a, an inner seethe that I don't play the game anymore. Right. But there's no over. I, I, won't, I won't. Because I, you can't. I, if you I fight with her, you're giving, yeah. you're giving her fuel. Exactly. Yeah. And That's drama yeah. for her. She wants that. Yeah. You win by not playing the game. Yes. Agreed. So... Uh, another toxic family dynamic, 
refusal to apologize. Um, because they're never wrong. They're never wrong. I remember having an, I wish I could remember what the argument was about. But I remember having an argument with my, um, my stepdad sometime in high school. And I said something like, why do I never have a right to be angry? And it's, the, he had said something quasi-intelligent. But it, listen to what he said. I never forgot it. He said, well, you do have a right to be angry. It's just human nature. That's how human nature responds to when people get angry. So it was... So he was passing the buck onto human nature. Exactly, instead of him. Yeah. You know, and, you know, again, it was that rare moment of, you know, clarity um, that unfortunately didn't last. Um, they, um, another toxic family dynamics. Uh, they take no res responsibility and they blame everybody else. Yeah. It's never their fault. Uh, and if you try to accuse them, they'll make you feel guilty. Yes. What happens when you meet a person that's never wrong and never at fault? You know there's something wrong with them. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, exactly. It's, you know, they've been trained, poorly trained to operate that way. So there's not even a, uh, a remote thought that there's another way to look at things. Because to change is, is you have to have an open mind and you have to be willing. You know, change is painful. Yeah. And they're just not willing to deal with it. Uh, con controlling um, and manipulative is another toxic family dynamic. Um, you know, I, I had a friend of mine complain to me that, you know, her mother treats her sister better than her. I was like, have you ever asked her why? She's like, I do. And then she'd be like, I'm too stressed. I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> so what she did is not... And then not answer the question and, and then put the blame on her. Well, you're stressing me out by even asking. Right. So that's. Which that is so is, unfair to that poor girl. She just asked the question and she wanted an answer. That is a visual download of codependency right there. No, but everyone, you know, we think about this now and you think about the term arrested development when we were three, four, five, six, seven, what, what was our, what, what was the way to defend ourselves? The very people that were supposed to make us feel safe are making us feel lost and confused and upset and yeah. stressed. Yeah. So you think about the long-term effects of that and yeah, have and there a, are long-term effects. It's not until you're, you know, maybe like your stepsister's age or our age when you suddenly go enough. I, I've got to, I've got to fix myself here. I have to heal these, these wounds. It's, it's very hard because when you're high functioning anxiety and then high functioning depressed, you know, high functioning depression, um, you might always be lonely, even though you're never alone. Yeah. That's just what it is. 24 seven. I lived and breathed it. Wow. Um, and the last toxic family dynamic is uh, verbal assaults. So that could be, you know, covert or overt. That could be guilt trip. That could be, you know, manipulation. Be like, um, you know, I'll, I'll buy you, I'll buy you that car or I'll buy you that gift, but you owe me. Mm -hmm. 
you know, um, I know of a, another family where, you know, they have to have uh, family dinner every Sunday night. Uh, it's a force to make it seem like they're close and they despise each other. And to force everybody to yeah. to jump into that tradition is actually bullshit. Like, it, it makes is. me so mad when people do that to their kids. Like, let so what, them live that, their lives. They don't have to come over every Sunday if they don't want to. Like, that's crazy. It's forced. It's a forced closeness that doesn't really exist. And, you know, people it's control, that, too. It's control. People that were raised with a lie that still choose to believe it will continue to live it. And that's a perfect example. Wow. So uh, all those toxic family dynamics get passed down from generations. And because they've gone on so long, we think they're normal. And in my very humble, uh, non-clinical opinion, is the source of pretty much every problem that we have in relationships, both with other people and with yourself today. So getting into the toxic family roles. Now, so there are five different toxic family roles, and they change. So it's not always the same. So uh, I'll list them first and I'll explain. Okay. You have the, the hero slash responsible one, the scapegoat, the problem child, the lost child or the dreamer, the mascot or clown, the enabler or caretaker. So those were five roles and you could have one for a while, then switch to another. So it's not like you have that for life. For me, I always, you know, after reading, I believe I was a combination of the responsible child and the enabler slash caretaker. But let's get into the details of that. The hero, uh, with golden child is also called, uh, the hero, the golden child, which is, you know, what my stepbrother is now. Um, they're typically self-sufficient, perfectionistic, overachievers, uh, ambitious, and they look like they have it all together on the surface. Um, underneath, um, it is, they are in a lot of pain. They are addicted to being controlled externally. So a slave to materialism, uh, ripe for picking um, either marrying a, or having, choosing a life partner that's either, a, you know, if you are a narcissist, you'll, might marry codependent. If you're severe codependent, you'll marry a narcissist. Um, so that's a one potential side effect of being, uh, you know, the hero, the responsible child. I was the severely codependent uh, recipient of that. So, and they're typically almost the one, the one that's uh, almost, the one that's most unhappy, even though it appears like they have a great the scapegoat or problem child is angry and defensive. Um, they are basically telling the truth by acting out the family's problems. And that was my stepsister and she was right. Um, you know, the parents are the one, it's the one that the parents are most ashamed of. Uh, they come off as rebellious, cynical. Um, and, you know, that was my brother too. He was the, uh, uh, scapegoat, as well as uh, probably the lost child, too. But, we'll, you know, we'll get into that. Um, 
they uh, are always the one that, you know, everyone points the finger at. You know, they're the reason we're ashamed. Hmm. The lost child or dreamer, um, they usually get, they're invisible to the family. Uh, they usually disappear. Uh, my brother used to sit in front of the TV for hours. Um, but, you know, he used to get in a lot of trouble, too. He didn't do well in school. But, you know, he would disappear, too. Um, they typically, for lost child, they withdraw from other people. They don't have the best uh, social skills. And they, I mean, every single toxic family rule results in low self-esteem, every single one of them. Um, so, uh, how, could it, child, how could it not? Yeah. The lost child is, you know, spends a lot of time alone. The mascot, uh, is typically the cute one or the funny one. Uh, they, the mascot feels or a clown. They also call the, the clown. Um, they feel, uh, powerless to deal with the family dysfunction and they try to cope by breaking the anger and the tension with fun and humor. Um, the, typically the class clown and mascot will suffer from anxiety depression as we all do. Um, sometimes they turn into workaholic, uh, workaholics to make up for their insecurities. Maybe um, comedians. Yeah. They're very friendly. <laughs> um, and mascot children often hope, help people with other, with their problems because it's a way to distract from their own. Hmm. So the enabler slash caretaker, the fifth and final uh, toxic family rule, um, they often justify the behavior of the toxic parent. And this could be, you know, uh, substance, you know, the parent could have some substance abuse addictions too. Um, they're typically a martyr and good at masking the family's downfalls and dysfunctions and making sure that the public sees that they're a happy, well-rounded family. That was me. Um, it's, you know, I didn't know how to cope with my parents' problems and my mother's deafness. So I put on a convincing show through, you know, you know, perfection and overachieving and anticipating and solving problems before they actually surfaced, hoping that one day this vision of having this, you know, normal family would become a reality. That was your survival uh, strategy. Yes. Uh, my my biological father, my mother, and my stepfather all still, you know, put on this act like everything is good and we're all close. Um, and I don't. Wow. I don't badmouth them because, you know, to do a smear campaign would do nothing for me. That's right. And it's a toxic behavior. So that's uh, in, in a nutshell. Um, what is a nutshell? <laughs> that's like a little shell yeah. from a nut and you can fit all this information into that little shell. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I hope that, you know, describing toxic family dynamics and toxic family roles sort of help people start to uh, make sense of, you know, why they might be feeling the way they do and why the relationships are strained and why there's so much tension. Yeah. Yeah, see which one you are, you know, when you uh, listen to the five family roles, see which one you fall into. I think I felt I fell into the enabler, yeah. Um, yeah. caretaker, maybe even the lost child. I don't know. Yeah, it might have been, you know, good. you could have thrown yourself into your music to sort of, yeah. you know, not deal. Sure. 
Yeah. Um, well, so it was you know a way, I think it was a way to um, take the attention off of the stressful situation and put the attention on me. I was actually, that kind of makes me feel like maybe I was the mascot because I would be, you know, the sort of like a center of attention that held the family together. You know, here, here now she's going to perform. Everybody yeah. get together and makes everybody happy. Right. Sounds pretty accurate to me. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So when you're busy playing roles as a result of, you know, toxic parents, where is the authentic connection to who you're supposed to be and what you really like? Where is it? When does it happen? It doesn't. Right. So what do you do? You overexercise. You undereat. You start drinking. You shop. You yell. You overachieve. You keep yourself so busy that you never have time to think about how unhappy you are. And I could keep going. And it doesn't but, fix anything. That's right. So um, I'm all done spewing my brilliance today <laughs> well you have that and then and, and actually please know that I was being sarcastic i don't think i'm brilliant <laughs> <laughs> noted noted well that concludes episode 10 of season three of the stuck stops here i'm lw no lie and we're here with tammy receipt admin and we love you so we will look forward to doing our next episode soon Couple weeks. Bye bye. Love and it ain't free. This much I know is true. Only way out for us is through. It ain't love and it ain't free. A war we fight but cannot see. Swallowed whole, so much we.